Well, good morning. Good to be here with you today. I'm always a privilege to open the Word of God and to share what God has laid on my heart and most importantly, to learn with you. Um, I have so much to learn and I hope we can learn together today as we dig into God's Word. I have four children. I'm very careful not to use them as sermon illustrations, so don't worry, I'm not going to embarrass you today, girls. But I actually have four children, and I don't know if you remember when your kids were growing up, every once in a while they'd get a little bit of pain, maybe in, a, in the knee or in, a, in another joint, and what would we tell them every time? Don't worry, it's just growing pains. Yeah, you know the drill. I, I don't know, maybe we didn't know what we were talking about, but we would often assume it was just growing pain. So I looked it up. Actually, I talked to my girls who are both studying health sciences, and they tell me that growing up pains occur when the bone grows faster than the soft tissue connecting them. So muscles, tendons, ligaments. Now, some of those don't grow. They only stretch. But regardless, as the bone grows fast in, a, in like a growth spurt, there's a bit of pain as everything else has to adjust to that growth. They have, to, they have to catch up to each other. They have to make adjustments. And sometimes it's painful, but here's the thing. It's normal. And it's natural for our bodies to, experiencing a little bit of, to experience a little bit of pain as we grow. Not only is it natural, we always told our kids, you know, it's kind of a good thing because it means you're growing. And all, all little kids, what do they want to do? They all want to grow up. They want to get big and strong. And so it helped make that pain more bearable as we told them, don't worry, it's just growing pains. And they're like, yeah, I'm growing. This is awesome. But it's not just our bodies that experience growing pains, is it? We've taken that expression, growing pains, and applied it to almost every area of life. I remember reading back in September as school was starting again. Remember that? All of our, well, most of the kids have left the building now. Well, not the building, they've left the sanctuary. <laughs> they're still in the building, don't worry. <laughs> We're taking good care of them. But they're not here, they can't hear me. But you remember when school started, I don't know if you did, did you see the news reports about Durham Region? That we had schools that were so overcrowded that they had classrooms meeting in the staff room, they had classrooms meeting on the, you know those little gym stages that are kind of tucked to the side of the gym? They had classrooms meeting in the library because they were out of space. They were growing numerically. They had more and more students coming to school and they were experiencing growing pains. What about businesses? I don't know if you've ever started a small business or a medium-sized business. As that business starts to grow, what happens? You have to change your organizational structure. You have to hire new people. You have to buy more supplies and more equipment. And there's, there's growing pains that go along with good growth. We want schools to grow. We want to have more kids. We want to have bigger businesses. We want to make more money, right? It's, it's all good things, but with it comes growing pains. Even in our families, as we've had a lot of babies born in our church lately, haven't we? But babies mean some growing pains. Maybe we need to look for a, a bigger house or a bigger apartment to accommodate more children. Or at the very least, we've got to buy new car seats and, and high chairs and cribs and, 
there are growing pains associated with the blessing of, of children and growing families. So if growing pains occur almost everywhere, it shouldn't surprise us that even God's church, the church of Jesus Christ, the body of Christ, will at times experience growing pains. And that's where we are today. We've been working our way through the book of Acts. We've been looking at the, the early church, the first church in Jerusalem. And today we're in Acts chapter six. If you have your Bibles, I'd encourage you to turn there Acts chapter 6, verses 1 to 7, we're going to see that the church starts to experience some growing pains of its own. So Acts chapter 6, I'm going to read verses 1 to 7. In those days when the number of disciples was increasing, the Grecian Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. So the 12 gathered all the disciples together and said, it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. Brothers, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them and will give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. This proposal pleased the whole group. They chose Stephen a man full of faith in the Holy Spirit. Also Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas from Antioch, a convert to Judaism. They presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. So the word of God spread, the number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly, and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. This is the word of God. Let's pray together. Lord God, thank you for your word. Thank you that it is the basis of all that we believe. And Lord, this morning as we dig into this, this short passage, these seven verses, Lord, I pray that you would teach us by the power of your Holy Spirit. I pray that you would work in our lives, help us to see everything here that you would have us to see and apply to our lives, Lord. I pray in Jesus' name, amen. So what's happening here in Acts chapter six? If you remember from last week, the weeks before, the church has been growing. The church has been being persecuted. They've been suffering. And here now it says that the church, the body of Christ, the number of believers is growing again. It says as they were increasing. Now how, how big was the church at this point? We don't know for sure. Commentators that I read said there could have been as many as 20,000 men and women in the church at this point. 20,000. That's a lot of people. Now, you've got to remember, this was the only church. This was the only Christian church, the Church of Jerusalem. And it was only made up of Jews at this point. We haven't spread it. Later on in Acts, we see it spread out to the Gentiles. But for now, this is just a Jewish church, Jewish believers in Jesus Christ. But we do also notice in the text that the church is starting to diversify. There are two types of Jews mentioned. There are two groups of Jews, the Hellenistic or Grecian Jews, depending on your translation there, and the Hebraic or the Hebrew Jews. The Grecian Jews were Greek-speaking. 
Most likely, they were not from Jerusalem or the surrounding area of Jerusalem. Um, they weren't born there. And then you have the Hebrew Jews or the Hebraic Jews. They spoke Hebrew, and they were most likely from the in area in and around Jerusalem. We also know, this is interesting, from some other writings from that time period, not the Bible, but other writings, that sometimes the Grecian Jews were looked down on as second-class Jews. Maybe they weren't quite as good as the Hebrew Jews. I don't know, maybe there's a little competition going on there. But we see, even still in verse 1, so the church or the number of disciples is increasing but this growth and diversity quickly leads to a little conflict. The Grecian Jews complained. They were complaining that their widows were being neglected. The implication, of course, being that the Hebraic Jews were being favored in the distribution of food. And what was that about? Well, these were Jews, remember, and the Old Testament taught the Jews, as it teaches us, that we need to take care of our own, especially the widows amongst us. And that day was particularly important because a widow had no one, potentially, especially if she had no children or if her children had died, a widow had no one to support her, no one to provide for her. So the church was stepping up, just like the Jewish people would have, to help widows, to help those who had no one to care for them. And how were they doing that? Go back with me just a couple of pages to Acts chapter four. This, verses 34 and 35. You might remember, we, we studied this a few weeks ago. It says, There were no needy persons among them, for from time to time those who owned lands or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales, and put it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anyone as he had need. So this is how it was happening, right? People were bringing gifts, bringing their offerings to the apostles, to the church, and the apostles were look, making sure that it was distributed to those who had need, and probably, in particular, the widows of the church. And the 12 apostles were managing this whole process. Now imagine, you got a church of 20,000, and you got 12 apostles. So it seems kind of like a no-brainer to us looking back, wasn't long before the job became a little too much for those 12 apostles. The church was growing and it, the task was becoming too great for them to manage well and some were being neglected, in particular, the Grecian Jews. And so some complaining begins to happen. Now that's what's happening on a human level, but what do you think was happening on a spiritual level? Because we know it's never just about us. There is a spiritual battle going on all the time, especially in regards to Jesus Christ and the church. See, Satan has been busy up to this point attacking the church, right? The apostles have been flogged, they've been imprisoned, they've been commanded not to preach. Satan's doing everything he can to hinder the growth of the church. Satan is not happy that the early church of Jesus Christ is growing. And Satan will use every trick in the book to disrupt what God is doing. We know that. And here we see him, he, he's tried, the, he tried to inflict harm from outside the church. Now we see him using complaining and conflict from within the church 
to try and derail or slow down the growth or distract them from what they were doing. So that's what's happening. But what did they do? What did, how did the 12 apostles handle this conflict? Well, first of all, they identified their priorities in verse two. They right away recognized that they should not be neglecting the ministry of the word of God to serve food. Their priority, we also learn in verse four, was to be prayer and the ministry of the word. This is very, very important and very wise and obviously led by the Holy Spirit, the apostles realize we need to keep our priorities straight as we lead this new movement, this new church. Secondly, they address the problem. They address the problem directly. They go right after it. And what do they do? They charge the church, the disciples, those 20,000 disciples, to choose seven wise, spirit-filled men. Seven more people on the team to take over the task of ministering to those in need. And notice the type of men they were to choose. Look at verses three to seven. What does it say there? It says, does it say, choose men with the time and the physical strength and ability to distribute food to all the people? No. Does it say, choose men known to have the gift of administration, competent in the use of spreadsheets and able to organize and manage this large amount of food that needs to be distributed daily to people? No, it doesn't say that either, does it? It says, choose men who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom. I thought to myself, what's the big deal? They're just taking food and making sure the people that need food get food. Why was it so important that they chose seven men who were full of the spirit and wisdom? As I thought about that, I thought the only the only reason they did that is because they knew that they could not function without the Holy Spirit. As the church of Jesus Christ, they needed to be empowered by the Holy Spirit and the wisdom that came from the Holy Spirit. They were very careful not to do anything in and of their own strength. So even a task seemingly as simple as the distribution of food required Holy Spirit wisdom in the lives of the early believers. Now one other thing about these men, this is maybe a little bit of an aside, but some would say these were the first deacons. And maybe they were. The word used in verse two, where it says to wait on tables or serve food or serve tables, that word to serve is the verb from which we get the noun that we translate deacon. Deacons are servants. Um, but these seven men were never, called to, were never called deacons in the scriptures. So we need to be careful about that. But they could have been the first deacons. But the title and office of deacon comes later. We see it later on in the New Testament. We see it in Philippians. We see it in 1 Timothy, other places. This, and this might have been the model for how to choose deacons. But these men were never called deacons. What we do know for sure, what we have here is an excellent model and a guide for how to choose individuals to serve 
in the ministry of the local church, no matter what that ministry is. This is how the early church chose people to lead the church, looking for men full of the spirit and wisdom. Now it's interesting, verse five, again, keeping in mind, you could have up to 20,000 people here. It says this proposal from the apostles pleased the whole group. When was the last time we got 20,000 people to agree to anything? But they did, it says the whole group was pleased with this proposal. They were unified. The whole church was on board. It's amazing. So what did they do? The The church went ahead and chose seven men. Notice, the church chose the seven men. The apostles didn't tell them who to choose, other than giving them some criteria, but the church did the choosing from within their own ranks. Now it's also interesting that all seven of these men have Greek names. They all have Greek names. And if you remember back, it was the Greek Jews that were complaining that their widows were being left out. So I don't think it was a coincidence that they chose seven Greek Jews to solve the problem. They addressed it wisely. One of them wasn't even born a Jew but it converted to Judaism. Now there's two things here. One, the first one's not so important, but it might be a warning to us, never complain about something that you're not willing to step up and help fix. But more important than that is I remember someone told me years ago, we were talking about the church and the multicultural church, and someone told me, I can't remember who it was, They said, you will know when a church is multicultural, not by the cultural diversity among the congregation, but when the cultural diversity is seen in the church leadership. So that's what the apostles did. That's what the church did. They diversified, they didn't just increase the number of people serving, but they diversified the cultural ethnicity, the makeup, of the leadership of the church. Very, very important. And then having chosen them, the church presents them to the apostles, and what do the apostles do? The apostles commission them. It says they prayed and laid hands on them. What's that about? Well, that's a sign of affirmation, of support, and of giving of authority. They were giving over the task to these seven men. They're saying, this is all yours. We trust you, we believe in you, We expect you to do this well and we support you in it. And so what happened? What was the result? Verse seven, I love verse seven. So the word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly and even a large number of priests put their trust in Jesus. Just because they made some good decisions about how to handle some growing pains, it says the word of God spread The number of disciples increased rapidly and a large number of priests put their trust in Jesus. I'm not sure why it mentions the priests there. Uh, We don't really see much more about that later in the scripture, but I did do a little bit of research because I wondered what's a large number of priests? I wonder how many that was. And they say that at that time, it probably took about 8,000 priests to run the temple. 8,000 priests to just to handle the duties of the temple, the Jewish temple. So a large number, I'm sure, was more than 10. You wouldn't have said that was a large number. 
A large number out of 8,000 probably would have been hundreds, maybe even thousands. We don't know for sure, but I think it's incredible that even in the midst of growth and growing pains, God continued to bless the early church and grow them, grow their numbers, spread the word, and even save Jewish priests and bring them to the knowledge of our Savior, Jesus Christ. So we see in this passage just an amazing picture of how the early church handled their growing pains. But here's the question. What about us? What does this have to do with us? Some 2,000 years later, the church of Jesus Christ is well established around the world, right? But how can something that happened 2,000 years ago impact Calvary Baptist Church, this local church today? Well, I don't know if you know this or realize this or not. Maybe you have. Maybe you've seen some of the signs. But we're growing. Now, we're growing again because Calvary Baptist has been around 95 some odd years. Is it over 95 now? I don't know. Someone have a number for me? No. I know it's more than 95. I was looking at some of my key deacons and they didn't have 95, 96, something like that. We've been around a long time and this church started with a few families meeting in a house. I remember uh, Center and John Street. Who worshipped at Center and John Street? Hands up. Thank you. I was a teenager at the time. And I remember when the plans were started to build this, this facility. And the excitement as we were, we were filling two services at Center and John. And it was busy. And we, we recognized we needed, or they recognized they needed a, a bigger facility. And this church was, was built. And I remember moving here and being so excited that we could go back to having only one service. Yeah, that didn't last long, did it? Now here we are, we've been in this building for 30 years, something like that. We're back to two services. And we've noticed, especially since, well, in the past year or so, even, even since September, some pretty major growth in our church. We're seeing new people every week. Last week alone, we had 16 visitor cards distributed, or not distributed, turned in to the welcome, uh, to the connections room at the back there. That represents about 30 new people just last week that came and visited our church. And that's just the people that filled out a card because we know there's some people who, yeah, their first visit, they probably sneak in, sneak out. That's okay. We get it. It's not unusual. We have seen consistent numerical growth since September. Even in terms of numbers, if you like numbers, Last week we had 1,476 people here. And a year ago, just a year ago, we had 1,168. So that's just over 300 people more this year than last year. We're growing. But also like the early church, not only are we growing numerically, but the demographic of Calvary is changing. Have you noticed that? We are diversifying. Who we are is changing. The cultural makeup of our church is changing. I know this might be dangerous, but I'm going to try it anyways. You're going to help me out. I want you to put your hand up if you're new to the church in the past, let's say, two years. Wow. That's a lot of hands. Okay, keep your hands up. No, keep, keep them up. Now, this is the dangerous part because I don't want you to prove me wrong. I want you to put your hand down 
if you or your parents or your family were, are, were born in Canada, leave your hand up if you were not born in Canada or your parents weren't born in Canada. Yeah, look around. To see the hands that are still up in the air. My hand's still up because I wasn't born in Canada. Right? Okay, you can put your hands down. We are diversifying. Remember I told you we had those 16 cards turned in last week? Okay, we had people uh, from Ghana. We had people from India. We had people from Kenya. We had people from Nigeria. All that came last week. We're changing, we're diversifying as a church. Now this is a wonderful thing. We're like, praise the Lord. It's like, getting, it's like having new babies. We're like, yes, we got, we got new people at the church. We love seeing growth. We love seeing cultural diversity. You know what heaven's gonna be like, right? Every tribe, tongue, and nation is all gonna be gathered together in one place with Jesus. We're, we're, just, we're just getting ready for that now. The cultural diversity we're experiencing is a wonderful thing. We love it. We love growth, we love cultural diversity. These are good things, we need to celebrate them. But at the same time, we need to be aware. We need to learn from the early church how to be ready for and how to handle the inevitable growing pains that will come with this growth. See, here's the thing. We will face challenges and even conflict in the church. I, I, I'm not gonna say we might or maybe. No, I, as we grow, there will be growing pains. And sometimes, I know we're gonna face challenges, we're facing some already. And some of those challenges might even turn into conflict in the church. Growing pains are normal and natural. So we need to be ready. We need to expect them. We can't take our good church health for granted. We, I believe we have an incredibly healthy local church. We are so blessed and so fortunate in what we have here at Calvary Baptist Church. It's just wonderful to be a part of but we can't take it for granted. We have to keep working on it. We have to be attentive. We have to be aware of what's going on in our ministries, in our programs, in our church, in God's church. We can't just assume everything's gonna keep going smoothly. We need to be aware, we need to be careful. Why? Because just like in the early church, Satan will attack us and attempt to distract from inside the church as well as from outside the church. Satan still hates the church. That didn't go away over 2,000 years. He still hates the church of Jesus Christ and will do everything he can to derail it. So what kind of challenges might we face? Well, I'm not gonna get into anything too serious because I want, to, I want to be happy today. But here's some minor things. Put your hand up if you've ever had trouble finding a parking spot on a Sunday morning. Oh yeah, you're all laughing and there's a few hands going up. We're, we're running out of parking spots. We're, that's, that happens, right? We have a limited number of parking spots and we're getting more and more people. It's gonna be hard to find parking sometimes. That's a challenge. What about our coffee? We, we like having coffee in the foyer, right? But how many times have you got up there and you get your cup out and you put it on, and we're out of coffee? 
It happens sometimes. Now, if you get early enough, you come early enough, you always have coffee. But sometimes we run out of coffee because we got more people, don't we? Have you ever walked in and, and you walk down the aisle to your favorite seat and there's someone sitting in my seat? <laughs> I, I know we laugh and it's just a, but for some people that's really stressful. And, and we have a, we're, we're going to face, we are facing and we will face challenges as we grow. They're growing pains. So we need to expect them. We need to be ready for them. We need to anticipate them. And then, it's very important, we learn from the word, we need to handle these challenges with great wisdom. Wisdom that comes from the filling of the Holy Spirit. We're not a business. This isn't some store somewhere where we're just worried about the bottom line. No, we're a church. Not only that, we're a church family. Every decision, every adjustment, every change we make affects people. And it affects God's people. So it is so important that we use godly wisdom to address the challenges that come our way. We need to find solutions. We can't just ignore the problem and hope more parking spots just magically appear out there. We can't ignore problems and hope they go away. We can't play the blame game and try and figure out, well, whose fault is it? Who's bringing five cars to church every Sunday? No, we gotta just find solutions. You notice in the, the passage we read, never once does it say, so the, the 12 apostles gathered together and discussed amongst themselves who was to blame for this complaining in their midst. That, that, ver, that, that verse isn't in there. They went straight to the solution. They identified the problem and they found a good, godly, wise solution. Now in order to do that, here at Calvary, leaders must be made aware of the issues. Now I say that with fear and trepidation because I know how much you all love to use your email and I really don't need 50 complaining emails in my inbox tomorrow morning telling me all the things you think are wrong with Calvary Baptist Church. However, we do need to know what's going on. If you, as the church, see something that isn't working right, that you think needs to be adjusted or you think needs to be addressed, your pastors, your deacons, your ministry leaders, we need to know. We can't solve solutions that we don't know about. We're just up here going, wow, everything's great. We don't want to know there's all this... We don't want there to be rumbling and murmurs that we don't understand. We need to know what's going on in the church. And then this is key. Leadership and the church must work together. Right? You notice the apostles didn't work in a vacuum and just solve the problem themselves. No, they involved the church. They, they shared the load. They distributed the load out. They, they got more people involved in leadership and they, they shared the load. They let the church help make the decisions. D.L. Moody once said, better to put 10 men to work than to do the work of 10 men. Right? The apostles expanded and diversified their leadership team. They, were, they weren't so proud and protective of their ministry. They're like, no, 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 we gotta do it. We'll, we'll, we'll take care of that. No, they, they let go and they shared the load. 
They let others in. They let others, they trusted other people to do ministry. It's very important. We have to remember it's not all just up to me or it's not just up to the pastors or the deacons or, or our ministry leaders. There is plenty of gospel work for all of us. There's plenty to go around. We don't need to hold on so tightly. We need to let others in. We need to share the work of the gospel in the church. And in doing so, we will find good, wise decisions to make as we address our growing pains. Thirdly, though, we see from this passage that we must protect biblical priorities as we make changes. We must protect biblical priorities. We can't allow distractions to take us off course. Right, it's like that, that movie where the, the dog goes, squirrel. You know, you forget about what you're supposed to be doing. That's what Satan was hoping was ha- would happen. We're gonna distract the church with this, this issue and they'll forget about prayer and the word of God. We can't do that. The apostles were careful to keep their priorities of prayer and the word of God. We must do the same. Prayer is important at Calvary, isn't it? The word of God is important at Calvary. We need to keep the main thing, the main thing. I know that's kind of redundant, but we need to keep the main thing, the main thing. What's the main thing at Calvary? The Bible. This is our absolute authority, isn't it? This is the main thing. We will never, we will never sacrifice the truth of the gospel, the truth in this word, in order to solve some problem. We cannot. We must maintain our priorities. And deacons, if you ever do, I'll resign. There you go. We cannot neglect the word of God. And then Jesus. What's important at Calvary? Jesus is at the center of everything we do. It's in our vision statement. What does it say? Enabling people to become fully devoted disciples of Jesus Christ. That's what we do at Calvary. How do we do it? We worship, connect, reach. We gather together like this because we know it's important to worship together, together as the body of Christ. We need each other. We connect with each other in other ministries, in our DC groups, in small groups. We build relationships. And then we reach. We share the gospel with others in our community, in our families, around the world through our global partners. These are, what, these are our priorities at Calvary Baptist. And we cannot sacrifice any of them just to handle growing pains. We have to figure out how to handle those growing pains without sacrificing our priorities. Everything we do, every decision and change we make as we deal with them needs to be done in the light of our priorities. And then finally, I I love what we learn from verse seven. Because, you know, I don't really like talking about potential problems that might come up and things we gotta fix and things we gotta change. Look at what happened. Look at what happened in verse seven. We should expect good results. We should expect God to continue to bless us 
as we handle these challenges in a godly, Holy Spirit-filled manner. We should expect to continue to see unity in the body of Christ. Right? This, this problem with the Grecian and Hebraic Jews had every, I mean, when you first read it, you think, yeah, okay, here we have our first church split coming right up. We're going to have two churches, one for the Grecian Jews and one for the Hebrew Jews. No. They maintained their unity. And as we deal with the challenges that God brings our way, that come from our growing pains, we can expect God to keep us unified as a people and as the body of Christ. We can also expect the continued spread of the word of God. Right? As we keep our priorities in order, as we keep trusting the Holy Spirit to lead us, we can expect the word of God to continue to spread And what happens when we do that? We see more and more people putting their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And we're seeing that here. I don't know if you're hearing all the stories, but we hear them on the pastoral team and in our ministry team of people putting their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Of coming to believe and then being saved by the grace of God. More and more people are putting their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And we can expect that as we move forward and as we grow together as we make changes, as we face these challenges together, we can expect good results from God. Growing pains, if handled wisely, will lead a church, will lead to a church unified and multiplied and God glorified. Let me read that again. Growing pains, they're not a bad thing. They hurt a little bit. But they're not bad because if handled wisely, they will lead to a church unified and multiplied and God will be glorified. Amen? Let's pray together. Lord God, thank you for your word. Thank you for the example of the early church, Lord. Thank you that we can learn from it and apply it to our lives. And Lord, we, we see some of the changes happening here at Calvary. And we know there's more to come. We know there will be growing pains. There will be challenges that we face. Lord, I pray that those challenges will not become conflict. But even if they do, Lord, I pray you would give us the wisdom, the guidance, the strength to handle them in a godly manner. Lord, in a way that keeps us unified as a church, that keeps us focused on you, on the word of God, on prayer, on doing all that you have asked us to do as a church. Lord, we commit ourselves to you again today and ask that you would watch over your church. Grow us and strengthen us and help us, Lord, in the days to come. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. What an amazing song. Our God will go before us. This is God's church. He will fight for us. He will lead us, he will guide us. Church family, growing pains are normal. and They're natural. We will face challenges and maybe even some conflict in the church as we grow and as we change. But we must handle those challenges with great wisdom by the power of the Holy Spirit. We must protect and stand firm on biblical priorities. And we should expect good results by the grace of God. Thank you for being with us today. There will be pastors at the front if you want to pray with someone after the service. Also, if you're visiting with us, a special 
Thank you for being here. Please visit the Connections room and meet some of our pastors there. Thank you all for worshiping with us this morning. Have a great day.